Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, Jim, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine, Richard. Oh, that's good. We're far away from each other for our 200th show. I'm in Point Reyes Station, California today, and you're at home in New York's Hudson Valley. Yes. So we're doing a bi-coastal How Do We Fix It today, and the show is going to be about what we've learned about listening, interviewing, and having constructive conversations. Yeah, and we'll include some highlights from our surprisingly deep back catalog. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? It's been nearly four years since we started doing How Do We Fix It? And today we're going to lift the curtain a little bit on what we've learned about communicating. Right, Jim? Yeah, you came to me and said you had this idea for a podcast. And I recently left Popular Mechanics magazine and was working on some writing projects. And I thought, hmm, the podcast sounds pretty interesting, but I really didn't know very much about it. Yeah, and the podcast was not the one we decided to do. We at first were talking about doing something called Change My Mind, uh, which was the idea that we'd invite a guest onto the show to see if he or she could change our minds, and that we'd also <laughs> have chance. a wild card guest <laughs> and a live audience and... <laughs> anyway, the whole project seemed to be a little bit uh, difficult to actually do on a weekly basis. So we ended up with, with how do we fix it? But I love the fact that right from the beginning, and this was an insight of yours, the point of talking to people is to be open to the idea that you don't know everything, that somebody might be able to convince you of looking at the world in a different way. And part of that idea has been with the show from – the get-go. And I feel kind of proud that when we started, we were talking about this issue of polarization and people vilifying each other instead of having real conversations. And we were on this topic, which today is one of the, the biggest topics in our national discourse. Yeah, and, and I think since we've started, there have been groups like Better Angels and Living Room Conversations have grown. And then there's also this great podcast by Dave McRaney called You Are Not So Smart mm -hmm. uh, that, that also explores some of the topics that we're talking about as well. So the whole space has grown and, and a number of podcasts a little more similar to ours have popped up in the last four years since How Do We Fix It began. Yeah, and it really it couldn't be more important because at the same time, I think this polarization and vilification of people we don't agree with has, has gotten worse. And 
it is a problem that really cries out for some fresh thinking and some solutions. So it's been really fun having a lot of people who are thinking deeply about this on the show. But but I want to start out by talking about our favorite topic, Richard, is us. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, you came to this after a long career in a very highly structured format of news radio. I don't know if most of our listeners know this, but you were there when the Berlin Wall came down. You covered all kinds of news events around the world, but having to cover those things in a very, very focused, very formatted way. Then you came into podcasting, this kind of free-form field. How have you changed? What have you learned? Yeah, I've had to unlearn a lot from network radio, and I'm not sure... I've unlearned as much as I should have done. Sometimes I find my voice is still a little bit announcerish. Or hey, give me I'm your best announcer. Give, I want to hear your best announcer voice. Well, it's, how do we fix it, Jim? <laughs> and uh, this is the podcast about changing your mind, trying to uh, listen to people with different points of view. <laughs> I, I think I've moved away a little bit from that, but I do think that the good thing about having a career in journalism. Uh, which is a craft or a profession which has really been disparaged a lot by our president and others, is the discipline and the brevity that you learn. And I think that's kind of a good thing. Yeah, and it's been kind of a fun dynamic for me because, you know, coming out of more long-form journalism. But, you know, I like having these more free-ranging conversations. And and I know sometimes we give our producer Miranda a challenge because sometimes my questions ramble on a little bit. But interesting people are talking. It gives us ideas. And I think that it should feel pretty intimate. And it's not as important to make it feel as if it's scripted. Maybe it's a little spontaneous. People are discovering things as they go along. And one of the reasons for that, Jim, is is people don't tune in halfway through to a podcast. They're with us from the beginning. And so you can make an assumption about storytelling with a podcast that you can't with a live broadcast. But let's have a few excerpts here. Let's have a little fun. Um, and, and because this podcast is on communication and communication skills, I thought we'd start off with Charles Duhigg. This was episode 54 on fixing our habits, our ways of communication, and how we respond to others, making them smarter, faster, better, which was the title of his book. And we include this exchange about responding to emails. I don't respond to an email or somebody doesn't, more importantly, somebody doesn't respond to my email. I shouldn't feel pissed. Well, I don't think you should feel pissed. I think that you should then figure out, like, how important is this to you? Do you email them again? Do you call them on the phone? I mean, this is the thing is that we've gotten to a place where people hit hit the email button so easily that we know that people send emails that are not actually for things that are important. And so the question is, how do you create a little bit of a higher transaction cost on the emails that you don't want to necessarily deal with? And the answer is you force people to, to give you a phone call or to email you two or three times. Yeah, Jim makes me do that all yeah. the time. He doesn't, <laughs> Actually, he doesn't respond to half my email. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I feel if somebody's given me a phone call for something that could be resolved easily by over email, I find that a little bit rude almost. I mean, because that is a direct interruption. I have to listen to the damn voicemail. I have to remember what they said. Um, whereas with email, I can sit on it until I'm ready. But then there's a risk that it gets buried in the, in the flow. So, you know, I guess there's no perfect solution. Well, I guess the question is, in a situation like that, how much do they actually need your input versus being able to solve that problem on their own? 
So, but are there any any tips that you can say this will make your life better when it comes to email? So, so this is how I do emails. I sit down and just go through the inbox and I just hit delete a lot. But then the things that are left over that I really have to deal with, what I do is I hit reply, reply, reply. I fill up my screen with all the replies that I need to deal with. And then we know from neurological studies that it's easiest to motivate. It's easiest to get things done when I feel like I'm making a choice or a decision where I'm in, I can assert some type of control. And so what I'll often do is I'll take all these responses on my, my screen and I'll type like a half sentence in each one, basically just asserting some choice. So if someone's saying like, let's have a meeting, I'll say like, sure, but let's start at three o'clock and I need to be done by 3.15. Or if they say, hey, can you come, can you go to lunch? I'll say, sure, but I, I want to go eat Indian food at this one place I like. And I'll literally just write those half sentences, fill up, you know, do that like 10 or 15 times with all the resp- replies that are on my screen. And then I'll go back and I'll fill in all the the secondary stuff, right? Like, hey, Jim, yes, I'd love to meet. Let's do it at three o'clock. Thanks so much, Charles. Charles Duhigg on one of the most basic forms of communication, answering email. Certainly, we could all get better at that. Some of the best questions we've asked, and we will get to a couple of examples of bad questions, are personal. For instance, why our guests are so passionate about what they do. I, I find that fascinating. On episode 65, we spoke with Gretchen Dahlkamper of the environmental group Moms Clean Air Force. And what got you interested in it? Um, you know, I always cared about the environment growing up, but it wasn't until I was pregnant with my second child, Fiona, um, that I really understood the magnitude of the problem. And a friend of mine was working on mercury pollution. And she was doing a press conference and said, you're pregnant. Can you, would you come do this press conference with me about uh-huh. mercury? And I said, well, I don't really know much about that, but I know I'm not supposed to eat tuna fish because I'm pregnant. So she sent me some talking points. And as happens in the third trimester, you don't sleep. So I remember one night I was up around three in the morning doing some research. And I found out that the mercury and the fish that I was not supposed to eat came from coal-fired power plants. Right. I grew up in western Pennsylvania. I grew up on Lake Erie. I grew up fishing for perch and walleye and eating mm-hmm. that on Friday nights at the fish fry. And there was a joke. Enjoy your perch, but don't eat too much. You'll start walking funny. But nobody told me that the mercury came from coal-fired power plants. Mm-hmm. And I got really angry. Why, as I'm growing a child who is very sensitive to the outside world, why am I being told not to eat tuna fish, but nobody is linking it to the cause? And at that point, I decided that I was going to volunteer for a local group and fight for the first ever limits to limit mercury pollution in our air. That's how I got involved. Gretchen Dahlkemper of Moms Clean Air Force, Episode 65. So those were some examples of some pretty good questions. Yeah, and here's one example of how not to ask a question. And thanks to our producer, Miranda Schaefer, this was edited out of the show on our website. But it's, it's a very long-winded question I asked medical journalist Joe Marchant on episode 99. This is a show about how our minds can heal our bodies. That's fascinating. One thing you mention in your book is, is the impact of human interaction in medical procedures, and especially afterwards, is really striking. For instance, the patients who receive their drugs with the doctor present got up to 50% more pain relief and that patients recovering from surgery who were given painkillers via an intravenous drip, one group was given the drugs 
with a doctor who told them what was happening, the other group receiving their drugs surreptitiously with the drip controlled by a computer. And there's a difference in the recovery rates for those patients as well. Could, could you talk more about that? That was awful, Jim. But of course, all of your questions are to the point. Yeah, right. There are a few that escape, though. There's the, <laughs> there was this one with, with Deb Mashek on episode 164. And then I'll just include one of you making a fool of yourself. <laughs> no, that's not possible. It seems like there's a widespread field of, of politics, and, and maybe on both sides, but you see it a lot on the left. It's not about let's analyze this policy and see if it works to achieve a certain end, but more let's see if we can figure out why this group of people supports this policy because it'll, it'll prove that they support it because they're evil. They'll support it because they hate poor people or they'll support it for, you know, they're homophobic or whatever the thing might be. And once you've decided that they're evil, then you don't have to actually analyze the policy anymore because it's th- th- that's beside the point. It's you've you just use the term othering. You've othered this whole group of people. You never have to talk to them again because they're beyond the pale. They're they're they they're sinful and you know they're they're somehow represent a uh, a body of thought that is just unacceptable. Is that what we're seeing? Is there any sense to what I'm saying here? So moving on from that, Jim. What was your most challenging interview? Yeah, so there's a couple of different kinds of interviews that are more challenging. But I I would say for me, show 168 with Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is somebody that I interviewed before. I've worked with him some when I was at Popper Mechanics. And in this one, I started to ask him about why he was such a big advocate for human space flight. And in that very Neil deGrasse Tyson-ish way, he immediately wanted to interrupt and reframe the question. And then from there, launched off into <laughs> a, a – Launched off a, a into A long orbit. professorial <laughs> and yet absolutely fascinating account of why he does believe in human spaceflight. So a little closer to Earth, but not not right on the surface – is the issue of space travel. And you're an advocate for for NASA. You're an advocate for... No, I, uh, I, I, I'm passive. So yeah, therefore, so, I can't be an advocate. Okay. Let me, let okay. me put it another way. I, I uh, may come across as one. But, but wait, wait. Just to be clear. Yeah. I may come across as an advocate. That's only because you asked me about that topic. I will not tell you you should support manned spaceflight. What you might have heard, but you thought was that, mm-hmm. is... Space exploration, history tells us, is one of the most potent forces to operate on the scientific ambitions of a citizenry. In the 1960s, you didn't need special programs to get people interested in science, to attract teachers into the subjects. It happened on its own. Why? There were weekly headlines of our journey into space and you knew you needed the best of the best 
You know, Jim, that interview with Neil deGrasse Tyson was one example of where I changed my mind. I came away from speaking with him being much more enthusiastic about the idea of launching something that all of us human beings could be excited about, and that could be man space travel. Yes. No, I think he's very, very persuasive on that, as on just about every topic. But that was a case where you don't really interview Neil so much as push the button on the jukebox and just let him go because he's so used to kind of having the stage to himself. And he's so fascinating. You know, you don't really need to say that much. And usually we'll try to break in. And if one of our guests is going on too long, we'll want to throw in another question or break up the long answers into shorter answers. And with Neil, in the end, it was just better to just let him talk and kind of sit back and go like, wow, yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I think it's it's easy for us to think that how do we fix it is an issues-driven show about problems that we're going to suggest fixes for. And what has happened instead, and this has surprised me, it's one of the things I've learned, is the questions are often at least, if not more important than the answers. And, and finding good questions to ask is, is is a really important job that we have to perform. And then the other thing is emotion and even love that plays an important role in interviews. And for me, the interview with writer, artist, and cancer survivor Debbie Gallant, episode 37, was very moving. I kind of made the decision to ask her about surviving and, and whether she thought about dying. This is not an eggshell question. Talk about your fear of dying. Yeah, I mean, here's this game that I play on the internet. I, I play it almost every night. I go on there and I say, what's the survival rate of a stage 1A triple negative breast cancer? And I can't find it. But <laughs> I cannot find a true answer to this. But it is the scariest question that I can ask. And... um I think that I, the way I think of it now is that I'm able to process the idea that my life may be shorter than I expected, but I'm not really able to envision the deathbed. There could be a recurrence. There could be a metastasis. I've been on boards online where people have it, and they talk about it very matter-of-factly the way I talk about cancer. So I think that that comes first. Like, I don't think I have to, you know, worry about – well, we do have an old, a very old will. I haven't updated it. That's Debbie Gallant. And you can find a lot more from our back catalog, How Do We Fix It? There's a useful search box on the website, howdowefixit.me, because now there are 200. It's a lot to go through. Um, you know, listening to that reminds me that for the first year, more or less, we recorded in a really top-notch recording studio on the Upper West Side. The audio quality was great, but then we decided to invest in our own recording equipment, and now our studio is the dining room table in your Manhattan apartment, and I've really enjoyed that, and for the shows where the guests are able to come in, which is probably about half of them, um, it's so nice to have people in that environment, and they get a cup of coffee, and so much of our show is about the personal relationship, the emotion, the life story. And I feel like being in a setting that's not so intimidating is really nice yeah. for people. Like you and I are comfortable in recording studios. We spend a lot of time in those kinds of places. But for some people, it's yeah. distracting. I think that's a really good point. And I, I think that hopefully other podcasters are among our 
audience, and that and that's one thing I'd say, anything you can do to relax the guest means that you'll end up with better stuff. Yeah. Anyway, Jim, we've reached that halfway point in the show. The mid-roll break is what it's called in the <laughs> trade, where we say it's how do we fix it? I'm Richard Davis. And I'm Jim Meggs. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So I want to jump back to something you said about the emotion in people's stories. And I think that one thing that makes for great narrative nonfiction journalism also really works in podcasts. You don't just talk about what policies does this guest advocate, but why are you interested in it? How did you get involved? And those personal stories and the emotion behind how people came to – seize upon a certain issue that they're passionate about is often the best thing in the show. That's not just a good technique for interviewing people as a journalist. It's actually a great technique when you're talking to people in your regular life. Yeah. When you suggested that we do this show in this way, you said it's about constructive conversations. Right. And and then you sent me a list of some ideas around constructive conversations. And one of the most interesting points you you make is the willingness to acknowledge evidence that contradicts your own position. And that's something that scientists deliberately try to do is to disprove a theory that they're working on just to make it stronger. Yes. I was thinking about constructive conversations from also a matter of technique Mm -hmm. and and just what I've learned. And one of them is, I think in many cases, we think that we're listening better than we actually are. And so it's a good idea to try to speak less than those you're in conversation with. Because if you think that you've spoken 40% of the time, the chances are it's really closer to 60%. Yeah, that's very likely. Um, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And, and then another one is humor, that laughter, as well as joking at your own expense, they're ways of communicating with respect and, and breaking through divides. And then another one I, th- I thought of was, was leaning in if you're with somebody mm-hmm. and establishing eye contact. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean being like Joe Biden and <laughs> batting <laughs> them on not. the shoulder, but, <laughs> but still. No hair but, smelling. But, 
<laughs> but still establishing eye contact. And then another one I had is ask simple questions instead of making statements. So right. those are some thoughts around having a more constructive conversation. Jim, you also looked at some ideas of, of what to avoid. What is a marker of an unconstructive and conversation? It's, and in some ways, these are the most useful because because the red flags that the conversation is moving off into unhealthy territory. What you said about leaning in and using humor, these are so important because our goal here is to resist the tendency towards dehumanizing or vilifying the person we're talking to. And it's surprisingly easy, even if you're talking with friends sometimes. And there's something there's something else. And this comes from a personal experience of doing a lot of editing is that people in passionate discussions attempt to make the same point in several different mm -hmm. ways. Mm -hmm. and, if, and if I have one big suggestion for our guests, it's like, look, give it your best shot once. Don't, you know, summarize what you've said and circle back to the points you've already made. Yeah, yes. Uh, it's hard, though. You know, it's hard because often there are nuances and and so 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 you know note to future guests we're not going to be judging you too too, <laughs> too harshly no if there's one thing i've really started to think about you know what is the nature of a useful political discussion or policy discussion avoiding the moral valuations if you can yeah i'm glad you glad you've made those points because i think that they point to some extent to the direction of where our show is heading, which is a response to political polarization and the paralyzed nature of how uh, many of us are discussing politics. And I feel that if we're going to move ahead as a country, and, and this is not just in the U.S., but in other places as well, we're going to have to find new ways to, to reframe our conversations with each other. It's How Do We Fix It? Thanks for joining us for episode 200. I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And Richard, I really can't believe it's been 200 episodes. Where did the time go? Yeah, if if somebody had said to me, "Oh, you, you'll you'll do two hundred podcasts and more with your pal Jim Meggs," I would have gone, "What? Are you kidding?" It, it's been it's been a really fun run, and so happy to take this journey with our engaged and super smart listeners. And of course, we we always love to hear from people, so don't be shy about speaking up. Yeah, and we have more plans that we're going to roll out in the future about building our community here at How Do We Fix It. So thanks for listening. Our music. Music is by Luz Travinsky. We're a production of Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. If you want to find out more about making podcasts, this is our commercial. Um, please get in touch. Davies Content. That's D A V I E S content.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? 
the federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.